Good afternoon. The time is 1 o'clock. You are tuned to WEHC Embry and WISE FM Wise. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023, and it's time now for another episode of Farm Talk. And here's your host, Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent, Phil Blevins. All right. Thank you, Ivy. It's good to be uh, back with everyone today on WEHC to uh, discuss another issue regarding agriculture. And I thought we'd take some time today. And I know we got a lot of horse owners in this area. And actually, Emory and Henry has a horse program that they're developing at this time. And one of the things that uh, we get questions about uh, pretty frequently is pasture questions about horses because Horses are uh, one of the animals that we got that can utilize the grass we have in this area, and people own horses for a lot of different reasons. Um, Some of them are actually used for work, uh, people that are working those for cattle, some for sport, uh, some for the purpose of showing horses, and some just for lawn ornaments that uh, they keep that they really don't use a whole lot. Uh, But they do have to have something to eat, so that's pretty important. And one of the things, uh, horses are a little bit different than uh, cattle and sheep and other ruminants uh, that we might graze on pastures. Pasture, or horses aren't a ruminant. Uh, they actually have a cecum and the, um, toward the end of their digestive system where that, that allows them to be able to digest grasses. But horses graze different too, and so that has some pretty serious implications as far as uh, as far as how we would manage horses on pasture, they're they're highly selective grazers, and because horses have upper teeth in the front, cattle and sheep don't have upper teeth in the front; they only have lower teeth, and so they graze differently. Cattle actually uh, gather the grass with their tongue. If you ever watch cattle graze, they take their tongue and wrap it around the grass and tear it off. But because horses have uh, upper teeth, they can actually bite the grass off really close to the ground. And one of the things that we notice a lot of times with horse pasture is that people have either overstocked too many horses uh, on the amount of land that they've got, and so the horses constantly have it eaten off into the ground. And then when you have either a hard rain or a really wet time, uh, then you start seeing a lot of damage to the pasture. The, the, the fact that they can bite it off at the ground uh, really uh, doesn't benefit the grass that we grow in this part of the world. We grow cool season grasses like fescue and orchard grass, and those grasses have to uh, have to have a little bit of stubble left before they can regrow and some leaf mass there so photosynthesis can take place. Actually, the lower two and a half inches of the stem of the cool season grasses that we grow, with the exception of bluegrass, um, it's where the carbohydrates are stored or the energy stored for the plant to regrow. And constantly biting that off ultimately creates problems for the grass. And so the bottom line is horses will overgraze because they have the capacity to do that. Another thing to think about uh, in a situation like that, particularly as we're going into the winter time, is if you really have a pasture that's overgrazed and we get into a really wet winter like we had two or three years ago, then the horses will destroy the area uh, because of the hoof action on that. And then you end up with the next season, unless you can get it reseeded, uh, then you end up with weeds, which aren't desirable as far as pasture goes. Or even in dry weather like we have now, uh, you have uh, 
places where there is no grass, where the horses have worn it down. And one of the things to keep in mind if you have horses would be that you have a sacrifice area, that if you have uh, really uh, wet weather or if you have a really dry time like we're headed, like we're in right now, uh, that you can put the horses on that and actually feed them to keep them from damaging the areas that you want to graze later on. Uh, so this overgrazing thing and lack of uh, recovery time that we're talking about ends up reducing the productivity of the pasture and really reduces the desirable plants uh, that you have. And as I said earlier, it increases the weed problems that you have. And some of the weeds that, one of the weeds that we have uh, guaranteed uh, if you overgraze an area or damage it heavily is spiny pigweed. And uh, that can become a real problem if you, the horses aren't going to eat it uh, under normal circumstances, but it just creates a problem as far as an area that is not going to be productive at all. Or you can end up with problems like jimson weed or cockleburrs, which those of you that are showing horses or grooming your horse uh, know can be a real problem. So the question, obvious question, I guess, that should come up is how much pasture does a horse need? Uh, and what I've noticed over the years is I don't think sometimes we think about that. If you have a 1,000-pound horse, they can eat an average of 20 pounds of dry matter per day. That's 2% of their body weight. And that's dry matter. That's not wet forage that they would graze uh, you wouldn't weigh the grass that they'd actually bitten off. It's 20 pounds of that material dried out. And so in a, this same horse that weighs 1,000 pounds, uh, in, from October uh, or from April to October, October to April, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, is going to eat about 3,600 pounds of dry matter. And so that's a significant amount of production off of, uh, off of a, that the horse is going to need. And so... What you need to figure on if you're considering getting a horse or if you're trying to figure out why you can't uh, supply enough pasture for the horse is that horse is going to need about two to three acres of land. And so what we see is a lot of times that people, you know, the, the child's in 4-H or the child's in FFA or the child takes riding lessons or they just really get interested in horses. And so... We've got an acre out back, and so we buy a big riding horse and put on the acre. And there's just not going to be in that situation enough pasture to keep that horse. I'm not saying don't do that, but you're going to have to plan on feeding the horse in that situation if you're going to uh, if you're going to go that route. Now, one of the big uh, big problems that comes along with pasture, and anybody that's in the horse business probably knows this, but is the concern about fescue. Uh, tall fescue is our predominant grass in this part of the world. It's actually not native to North America. It's believed to have been brought here on ships that had animals on them from Europe. And uh, tall fescue has, can have a significant problem for mares. Uh, those of you that have brood mares that you're breeding, you know that fescue can be a real problem, particularly uh, that that is infected with the endophyte. And the endophyte is a fungus that grows inside the plant, can grow in the seed, can grow in the stem of the plant. And it uh, actually produces a chemical called ergovaline uh, that 
really causes significant problems in broodmares. It causes problems in cattle, too, because it constricts the uh, blood vessels in the extremities of the animal. Uh, in cattle, for example, if they have a s- serious enough uh, exposure to this endophyte, it can actually cause the switch of their tail to fall off, or they can get they can cause the tips of their ears to fall off. Uh, just because it dies, it can cause a condition called fescue foot. Um, if you're familiar with uh, uh, the idea of this in rye, where people ate rye bread back in the day and still do, uh, these this endophyte would infect the rye, and people end up in parts of the world today where they eat it with actually gangrene in their fingers because of the constriction of the blood vessels. And it's believed, this is just kind of an interesting thing, it be, it's believed that this was part of the uh, Salem witch problem. Uh, when they were searching out the witches in the Salem witch trials, it's believed that they were these people that were hallucinating and having these uh, tingling sensations and burning sensations in their the extremities of their body, that it was because they were eating rye that had been contaminated with this ergovalene. And so it's sad that what happened in that case, but that gives us an idea of what goes on. And so Kentucky 31 fescue is generally infected with the endophyte, and if you have brood mares, that doesn't mean you have to run from fescue. You can actually manage those animals on that. Uh, But there are uh, varieties of fescue today that are just as productive as Kentucky 31, but are actually what's called a novel endophyte. Uh, It doesn't have this toxicity problem uh, that the Kentucky 31 does. And so a lot of people are going to that because it improves animal performance. Now, the mares, uh, to get back to what the problem is with the mares, uh, they end up with going beyond their uh, their normal pregnancy time, so the foals get bigger. It can cause thickened placenta uh, that surrounds the colt, which creates a problem, and also a condition which is called agalactia, where the mare really doesn't produce any milk or very much milk when the foal's born. And so it creates a serious problem, and most people that have brood mares understand this and try to avoid it. Uh, one of the ones that's used and that is uh, productive and doesn't create any problems is orchard grass, obviously. It's grown mostly in this area for hay, but it certainly works good. Um, all these can be wintertime-type uh, pastures, too, if you have them, at least to the extent that they, exi- that they last through the winter. Perennial ryegrass is one. doesn't do real well in our area in the summertime because when the weather gets hot, uh, it tends to begin to die out. Now, if you are dealing with uh, endophyte-infected tall fescue, the recommendation on that is if you are breeding mares and you're concerned about that, that you take those mares off 30 to 90 days prior to when they're going to foal and, uh, and feed them during that time so that they can overcome some of this problem. And trying to keep them on that and diluting it with a supplement just does not work. And if you have that problem and you just don't want to deal with it, then you're going to have to kill the stand that you have and replant. Uh, so uh, the uh, novel endophyte that we talked about gives, as I said, gives fescue all the strengths that it has and all the favorable characteristics without the toxicity problems. So we'll take a break right now and we'll be right back with you. <laughs> 
horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse, he'll give you the answer that you'll endorse. He's always on a steady course, talk to Mr. Ed. People yakety yak a streak and waste your time of day. But Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And Locally owned and operated since 1914, Food Country USA provides customers quality and value with products sourced from farms in our region. From the farm, to our stores, to your table. Food Country USA. We are back now with more Farm Talk, and once again, here's your host, Agricultural Extension Agent, Phil Blevins. All right, good to be back with you again, and if you do have questions about any of this, then please uh, contact me at pblevins at vt.edu, or you can uh, call the office, or you can call the radio station, and so... Uh, it is good to be with you today, and I appreciate WEHC giving me the opportunity to do this. I would say this, if you have topics that you would like to be discussed that are in the realm of things that I do, I'd be glad to do that. So if you could contact the radio station here or me and let me know that, uh, then we'd be glad to do that. But back to the discussion we were having about horses and horse pasture. And so, as I said, those grasses that we grow in this part of the world are what are considered cool season grasses. And if you looked at a growth curve on those, they are most productive in the spring, beginning in about April through the latter part of June. And then we get a bump in the fall. When we get into September and October, uh, we get an, another bump in the growth of those grasses. And so they're very productive from that standpoint. And it also offers us the opportunity to utilize those, as I mentioned earlier, in the fall and winter time. Stockpiled fescue, this is one of the strong points of fescue, is we can stockpile it in the latter part of the summer and provide grazing for horses up into the winter if we manage it uh, properly and if we have enough land to be able to do that. And what that boils down to is in about August, if you have the land to do this, that you remove the horses from a section of that. And you, uh, you can apply some nitrogen to that to get some growth. Uh, some research has been done in various places when they applied 45 pounds of nitrogen per acre. They ended up with about 2,800 pounds of dry matter per acre of, um, of tall fescue. And it's really nutritious because once we get a good frost in the fall, uh, the sugars go up in the plant. And it becomes very good feed at that point. Now, you know, I'm not a horse specialist, but talking to the people that have horses, I understand that you have to be very careful that you don't overdo that because you can end up with some problems with founder uh, and some horses that are too fat. So uh, be careful with things like that, uh, having said the fact, having pointed out how good it is. Um, and if you're going into the fall and you're grazing, if you have the area to do this, and one of the ways to get the best utilization out of this pasture is to strip graze it. And so we just don't turn the horses out on the whole thing and let them soil part of it with uh, manure and urine. Uh, we give them a limited amount of it each day or periodically, however often it's convenient for you. Maybe once a week we move an electric fence and give the horses a little more so they can graze that and you get tremendously better utilization 
in a case like that because the horses eat what's in front of them rather than walking over all of it. And we can really improve, really cut down on the expense of owning a horse. Another good winter horse pasture are small grains. And when I say that, uh, we talk about planting things like rye or wheat. If we have an area that we can do that in the fall, uh, about 100 to 120 pounds per acre, plus a little bit of nitrogen fertilizer. And if we can get that done early in the fall, in early September, um, then we can provide about one to two tons of feed by November. And again, the same thing applies. You'd want to strip or rotationally graze that and keep the animals off of it when it's wet because they can really work the ground up in that case. And the one thing you don't want to do is allow seed heads to form. And so with a small grain, as you go into winter and it gets really cold, uh, then it's going to quit growing. And so you're probably going to have to remove them from it at that point. One that, that can be used that's not a small grain is annual ryegrass. And we can sow that all the way up into November the 15th. And it's not a perennial, so it doesn't become a weed problem. And uh, we can uh, really high-quality feed in that case, particularly when you come into the spring. And if you happen to be making hay for your own horses, then it makes really nice hay, too, if you get it, if you get it harvested at the right time. And so uh, in some parts of the world where they have, uh, in, I should say in the world, I make it sound like it's somewhere else, but in Virginia and south of here, down in the Piedmont or so and so forth, they use this ryegrass in warm season pa- uh, grasses that are perennials where they'll go in and seed over Bermuda grass or something like that to provide uh, winter grazing for uh, the horses. And so, as we've mentioned on other uh, shows, one of the things you really need to pay attention to is the soil. And so you need to soil test at least once every three to four years and keep the pH up around six uh, so that the land is going to be productive in those cases. Uh, Maintain the phosphorus and potassium levels in the upper medium range of uh, when you have a soil sample analyzed uh, so that the grass can be productive and grow. And Understanding the plant growth really helps us as far as managing nutrition with any animal, but and particularly horses, uh, as the more leafy matter or material you have in the stand, the higher the quality. Uh, as the leaf material or the percentage leaf material decreases in the plant, then everything else goes down. The protein goes down, the energy goes down. Uh, as the stem increases, the fiber increases. And that's really important as far as nutrition goes. And if we let the grass get uh, too far ahead of us in many cases, then we see the horses, as we said in the beginning of this discussion, that horses are highly selective grazers. And so they, you'll see spots in the field where they're constantly going back to and eating it. And they actually, you'll have places where you've got, looks like a lot of grass, in places where there's no grass because for whatever reason, uh, they're not grazing some areas. And that may be our poor management that's causing that. Or it could be that there's a manure pile or there's been urine there that causes them to refuse that area. But keeping the pasture leafy and growing is important. It's really important as far as quality goes with any animal and, and horses included in that. 
And one of the ways that we can manage uh, pasture land better for horses is if we can set it up to rotationally graze it. If we can have at least three or four, we'd refer to them as paddocks uh, or areas fenced off where we can rotate the horses through it, we can really do a better job of managing the grass. The other thing we can do is it will help us to increase our stocking rate on the land. Now, that doesn't mean you can go from one to two horses on the same land. Uh, but if you have a number of horses, you might be able to increase the number you could carry to some degree by rotationally grazing that area. Uh, you have to have three to four paddocks gives you enough, to, uh, or you have it divided up enough at that point uh, that you can rest each paddock. And that's extremely important because you want the, the forage there to regrow uh, you want to give it time to get up to where when the horses get back on there, there is something to eat. Uh, and at the same time uh, that you're considering the health of the plant in that. And as I mentioned earlier, I'll never graze it really short. You do not want to graze below two inches because if you do that, you're really damaging the plants that you have there. And ultimately, you're going to have weeds that come back, which are going to be of no benefit to you. And so that sacrifice paddock, if you get into a situation where you have bad weather or drought, uh, is really important. And so, uh, you know, we have uh, systems. We have information on systems that you can, we can send to you actually to lay out a, a grazing system for horses or any animal, even on a small acreage. Uh, and so I would encourage you to give, give consideration to that. If you have areas in the field, for example, most of you are going to have a place where the horses can, can get water. I know you're, you're not probably going to have, you're going to have to have. And that can become a sloppy area, and that can become an area that uh, is a weedy area. But there are uh, ways that you can fix that to where you don't end up with just a mud hole around the uh, watering trough or the waterer, whatever it might be. Um, there's a way to build uh, rock pads that uh, will stand the hoof pressure of the horse uh, over time, and you really don't have a mud problem then. And, and the way they're constructed is if you get geotextile fabric is what it's called, and that's the first thing you would put down over bare ground, and then cover it with I'll, – I'll tell you the technical part of it – cover it with four to six inches of number four rock – and then cap the rock with uh, two to four inches of sifted lime. And you can really make a nice pad there for the horses uh, and so that they, when they come to water, they're not wading in mud up to their knees in the wintertime or any other time of the year. Any livestock or horse that has to uh, wade through mud, uh, that expends a lot of energy um, because you know yourself if you've ever tried to walk through mud where your feet were sinking down in it, that it takes a lot of energy to do that. And it does for horses as well, as well as it can create some health problems, particularly with mares or any animal that's nursing a young animal and they get mud on their udder, uh, then you can end up with some problems there as well. Uh, we do have lots of publications available uh, for horse pasture, and so um, if you're interested in those things, you know, feel free to uh, contact us, and we'll be glad to get those things to you. Uh, when we think about kind of closing out the program today as far as managing uh, this pasture for the horses, during the summertime, 
there's we talked about rotating, but during the summertime, you are going to have some material uh, that the horses are going to refuse, uh, whether it's weeds or whether it's some type of grass that they just don't like, like nimble wheel or something of that nature. Uh, then you need to be prepared to clip those areas uh, to be able to remove any material uh, that the horses aren't eating to get the overmature material away. And what this will do is then stimulate vegetative growth, which is what we want. We want the leafy material to grow again and uh, provide good provide good food for the horses at that point. And so uh, keep in mind uh, that that's what we are in this part of the world. We're, our main crop that we grow in this part of the world is pasture, and it's well-suited to horses. If we manage that like we should, uh, be careful not to uh, allow those horses to get in a situation where they're hungry and eating things that they shouldn't be eating that could create problems for them. There's some some crops that you just don't want the horses to eat that have bristles on the end. The seed heads have bristles on the end or awns on the end that irritate the horse. And so, um, you know, if, again, as I said, if you have questions, feel free to contact me. Always include your veterinarian in these decisions so that you don't end up with a problem uh, that, uh, that really damages the horse or ends up you having to do something to the horse you didn't want to. So thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being back with you again next week. You have been listening to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday at 1 o'clock for another edition of Farm Talk. And if you got any questions about any aspect of agrarian life, you can email Phil at pblevins at vt.edu. Or you got ideas for shows, things that you would like him to discuss, he would be happy to hear from you. You can also contact the radio station at 276 944 Nine three.